right. So, uh, Psalm 112 says, describes a person that does not fear bad news. It doesn't say that they don't receive bad news. It says when bad news comes, it doesn't touch their hearts with fear. What is the secret to live that way? There is a place in God, I'm calling it the, a, a place of immunity, really, to bad news, where you are convinced, you are certain that it doesn't matter what bad thing happens to you or what people do to you in this life. You become absolutely convinced that even the bad things that happen to you are going to ultimately be used for your good. So today we're going to look at at this secret that brings you to this place of immunity to the fear and the bad news that is all around us really almost every day. So could we stand together in honor of God's word? Genesis chapter 50 verse 20. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, would you open our hearts, open our minds? Lord, the secret of coming into this place of immunity is actually pretty easy to grasp with our minds, but it's another thing to apply it to our lives. Would you help us today? God, would you hide me behind the cross so that you can speak to each one right where they are, exactly what they need to hear. Father, we will give you the glory for every good thing that happens here today. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. You may be seated. Title of the message is The Saving of the Nations. Point one is, who is Joseph? So we've been going through the story. The story is a 31-year plan where you get the big vision of the Bible, the big story, and we read all of these um, lower stories in light of the of the larger story. We've we've got actually copies of it out there for five dollars. Many of you signed up for it last week and didn't get it. They are all out there now. If you didn't sign up, you can still get one. Just stop by the table and put your five dollars in the giving box or in the envelope, and you can get your copy of it. We did. We we started right at the beginning, and and last week we ended with. Isaac and Rebecca, their, their marriage. Isaac was the carrier of the, of the promise that God had given to Abraham. But once again, they couldn't have children. Once again, 
Turns out Rebecca is barren, and it is not until Isaac prays and seeks God that she is able to conceive. And when she conceives, she has twins. She has Esau, who comes out first, who is the oldest. Jacob is second. Technically, the birthright belongs to Esau. But the Bible says about Esau, he did not value the birthright. He didn't value eternal things. Jacob was kind of a scoundrel. His name means deceiver. But he had one thing going for him. He valued the birthright. He valued that which God values. And so Jacob deceives him twice to get the birthright, once with Rebekah's help, and Esau swears that he is going to kill Jacob. So Rebekah gets together with Jacob and says, you need to go away, your, your brother's going to kill you if you don't. And so Jacob goes back to Haran uh, to his cousins And there he meets Rachel, who he marries, Leah, who he marries, and through these two women and their two uh, servants, he has 12 sons. These 12 sons are what we would call today, they actually become the 12 tribes of of Israel and where he got the name Israel well well I'll just quickly get you to that God appears to Jacob after he's been in the house of Laban uh, working as a shepherd for many, many years. And he says, it's time to go back and face Esau. It's time to go back to that promised land. And so he goes back and for once in his life, he is left alone. There is no way to manipulate this thing. There's no way to deceive anybody. Esau is coming with him with 400 men. The scouts have seen it. It is. It, it, Either God comes through for him or he dies. I mean, that's, that's where it is. And he's alone with God. He wrestles with God all alone. And he will not let go of God. Until God blesses him. And God touches his thigh and, and he has a limp the rest of his life. There's a brokenness that comes to him. But God says, I'm giving you my blessing from this day forward and part of it is a new name. You are no longer going to be called Jacob or deceiver, but you're going to be called Israel, which is one who prevails with God. So that's how he becomes Israel and these 12 sons become the 12 tribes of Israel. Well, his favorite son is named Joseph. Jacob was horrible about playing favorites. The reason why Joseph was his favorite son was because Rachel was his favorite wife. And he is the firstborn of Rachel. And he makes this favorite thing known by giving him a coat of many colors. Now, Joseph, of course, has become very famous by Broadway. And many of you have seen the, 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 the musical around Joseph and his coat of many colors. When Joseph is 17 years old, God gives him two dreams. And in his naivety, he shares these dreams with his brothers who are already jealous of him, who already envy him, who already are a little bitter about the special treatment. And then he shares these two dreams. And in both dreams, 
the whole family ends up bowing down to Joseph. So these dreams did not bless his brothers. Point two, the three betrayals that Joseph experienced. The first one, the the brothers decide they're going to kill him and they throw him down into this pit that he will not be able to get out of. They're going to leave him to starve there. Um, One of the brothers has compassion on him and there's a band of Ishmaelites going through that are on their way to Egypt. And he's like, how much better... Um, to make some money off of him. And so they, they get him out of there and they sell him to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver. The Ishmaelites get to Egypt and they sell him to uh, an official in Pharaoh's court named Potiphar. As soon as he gets in Potiphar's house, the Bible says this, the Lord was with Joseph and he prospered. Second betrayal, he becomes very prosperous in this house. He becomes the trusted manager of everything and everything he touches turns to gold and Potiphar just gives him uh, complete freedom over the whole place because of God's blessing on Joseph. The one thing he doesn't give him a right to is his own wife. And so his Potiphar's wife is after Joseph. Joseph is very handsome and she is day after day wanting to to seduce him and sleep with him and he says, "No, no, no, I couldn't sin against God. I couldn't sin against your husband in this way." And one day they're all alone and she says, "Come on now," and grabs his cloak and he flees from her runs out of the house without his cloak and she starts screaming rape this Jew that has come among us that you have promoted has abused me and Potiphar becomes very angry and Joseph is sent to prison here's what the Bible says when Joseph lands in prison The Lord was with him, and he showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. And once again, he rises to the top in prison. And he's like, the prison warden has Joseph doing stuff because once again, God's hand is on him. Well, after some time, the the king's butler and cupbearer come to prison and they experience dreams in prison and they share their dreams with Joseph. And Joseph tells the cupbearer what his dream means and it is absolutely the word of the Lord. And he says to the cupbearer, when you get out, remember the kindness I've shown you And speak to Pharaoh on my behalf because I am here unjustly. Well, here's the third betrayal. The cupbearer gets out exactly as Joseph had interpreted. And he forgets Joseph. Two full years go past after this betrayal. And then Pharaoh receives a dream that stirs the cupbearer up to remembrance 
and he gets out of prison. So in the years 2007 to 2009, I experienced deep feelings of betrayal. And going over that time, how much was actual betrayal and how much was just feelings of betrayal? All I know is there were three different friends, three different situations completely, and in all three, I felt I was just betrayed, 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 and I know there was something to it because all three of them came back in later years and asked forgiveness, and, but in that season... It was just one after another. And I'm like, I felt so alone, so abandoned. I would go back and forth from anger to self-pity to confusion. But I discovered something that I want to share with you today. Four benefits of experiencing betrayal. Are you ready for these? Four benefits of experiencing betrayal. Number one, you learn how to forgive. Genesis 49, verse 23, Jacob, Israel is dying, and he's giving a prophecy over each one of his 12 sons. And this is what he says over Joseph. He says, with bitterness, archers attacked him. With bitterness, archers attacked him. Now, if you know the story of Joseph, you've ever read it. There is no account where anyone with a bow and arrow shoots it at Joseph. And even if there was an arrow shot at him, um, the most you can do with an arrow, you, could, you can tip it in poison. You've seen that before. Where they'll, they'll put it in poison or put fire on it or put something on it. But here's what you can't put on the tip of an arrow. Bitterness. You can't do that. If it's a physical arrow. This is one of the first references to the spiritual warfare that we are going through on this planet. There is a demonic realm. There is a realm of darkness. The Bible says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but with principalities and powers and darkness that is not human. And they are shooting arrows. And those, those arrows have bitterness on them. They're arrows of offense. Their purpose is to produce bitterness in us. Listen to Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. It says, be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. Anger is part of being in the image of God. Anger is when there is an injustice, it's not right, it's not fair, there's something wrong with you if you don't get angry. But the Bible makes it very clear. The anger of man will not work the righteousness of God. Anger that is not processed with God, where where you allow the sun to set on your anger, 
is going to create an opportunity for the devil. And you will go from being angry about this or about that or angry at this person, angry at that person. If you let the sun go down on it, there is an arrow shot that that has got bitterness on it and a seed of bitterness goes in you. What happens is, instead of being angry about this or angry about that or angry at that person, you become an angry person. You become a bitter person person. And this is the warfare that we are in. The Bible says that we need to lift up the shield of faith to quench the fiery darts of the enemy. The enemy has a a plan for us to kill us, to steal from us, and to destroy us. And so he shoots these darts and they've got bitterness on them. So it's really, really important that we process our anger And that we learn how to forgive. So, in these years, man, when you're a preacher, you got to stand up and speak to people. You don't. You don't want to be bitter. You don't want to have something you're carrying. You press through, and you you forgive. You learn how to forgive. And you learn it really, really good. And you learn that just because you forgave once doesn't mean you're not going to have to forgive again tomorrow because as long as the wound is there, it's easy to get re-enslaved. There's a reason why Jesus said daily, our daily bread, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. This is our warfare, is to, to keep loving, to keep forgiving. So every year... I go on this pastor's retreat in uh, the end of January, and it's, it's three guys that we have been doing this for, for 15 years, all different denominations. We come together, and we're just great, great friends. We, we share our lives. We share our hearts. We eat steak. We play games, and we, we, we pray over each other. And we speak the word of the Lord to each other, and it's just an amazing retreat for pastors. Well, every once in a while, actually it's almost every year, somebody brings a friend. Somebody brings somebody that comes along, and and they get to be part of it. And this year, uh, one of my friends in Minnesota brought uh, a young man named Chris. And Chris, Chris was rugged. Chris was covered from tattoos, from from here down, it was tattoos just everywhere. And he, you could tell he loved the Lord. And there was a real zeal for Jesus. And he was excited. And he had come out of drugs and women and just all kinds of horrible things. But he was not a polished product. Once in a while, he'd swear. Just, just he would be in a regular sentence. And swearing would come out. And it's like, okay, that's all right. He's, he's God's, God's got him. And we take a time where each one shares where they are and what their story is. And for the rest of us, it's what happened in the last year. But for Chris, he told us the whole story. And, and today he explained that he's in charge of this men's home for men that are coming out of homelessness, coming out of drug addiction, coming out of 
all kinds of abuse. It is like the most difficult cases, and he is the head of this home. He's kind of the pastor over it. And, but he made the comment that he, he thought he was youth pastor material, but he had been around pastors and applied for some positions, and apparently he wasn't good enough to be a, a youth pastor. And that kind of comes out, and so he was kind of stuck with this. And, and then he was telling us about this new service he's going to start on Sunday nights, and, and, and it's going to be just for these guys because the church doesn't really accept him him and or these guys and and they've all been hurt by the church and so he's going to make his own thing and and so then we all get to kind of speak into it before we pray for him and it gets to me and I say bro right now you've got some anger in the foundation of your ministry and if there's anger in the foundation there is going to be a ceiling on how much God can use you and how much God can do through you. You you need to get rid of that anger in your foundation. And I'm I'm just speaking it as the word of the Lord. There's anger in your foundation. And because of that, there's a ceiling on your effectiveness. God will use everybody as much as they can. But we can limit how much God can use us and how much he can do in us and through us by what we allow in our foundation. And so then we, we go into this time of prayer over him and everybody is praying prayers and, and uh, I get down on my knees in front of him. And I look him in the eyes, I say, Chris, as part of the church, I just want to confess this. We have sinned against you. We have sinned against your men. We have not accepted you. We have not made a place for you. We have not taken time to understand you. But here's the thing, Chris. We need you. We need you to be part of us. And so on behalf of the church, Chris, would you forgive us? And he's just this rugged, tough, he's really strong. He works out all the time. Tears start just flowing down his face. And he says, I forgive you. And I said, Chris, as a pastor now, I'm asking you as a pastor, we have sinned against you. We have judged you. We have underestimated you. We, you have felt rejection from us. But the truth is, Chris, we need you in our churches. We need you to, 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 to forgive us and to get past it and to bring the life and the energy and the roughness and everything. We need you. We, we don't want you to do some separate thing. We want you in our church. Will you please forgive us? as pastors, and now he's just bawling. And God did something in Chris. He took something that was in the foundation. He took it out. And when that foundation doesn't have anger in it anymore, all of a sudden the ceiling comes off. And all of a sudden, God's full purpose can now be released and experienced in and through Chris.
See, folks, as God looks down here today, he's crazy about every single one of you. He loves every single one of you. He, he could not love you more. He loves you so much, he's going to get in your face about the anger in your foundation. Why? Because he's angry at you? No, because he wants the ceiling off your life. He created you for a purpose. And right now, that's being hindered. Benefit number two. Experiencing betrayal. It breaks the idol of man's opinion. As he experienced people, Joseph's naivety towards people was broken. What he expected out of people or needed from people was broken. The Bible says this about Jesus, John chapter 2. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind. For he knew what was in each person. You know, sometimes our opinion of others and what they are going to be able to do for us is, it's just idolatrous. We need them to like us. We need them to accept us. We need them to give us value by their opinion of us. And it's... It's really only when they let you down, when they turn your back, when you see some of what is in human beings, that you realize that is a very, very slippery slope. In John chapter 5, verse 44, Jesus says, how can you believe when you seek glory from one another instead of the glory that comes from the only God? What happened was the value I felt, the acceptance I felt through these friends was, was broken. And then the question becomes, who, who am I? And what it does, it, it pushes you into God. Here's what Todd White says. My value and acceptance are found in Christ. So it's impossible for others to take away something they didn't give me. I'm now free to love you without needing you to love me back. That is true freedom. I can love you and I don't need you to like me. I don't need you to love me. You can reject me. It doesn't matter because you can't take away my acceptance. You're not the one that gave it to me. It breaks the idol called the fear of man. Thirdly, you get to know Jesus better than you ever could have before. Philippians 3.10, Paul's going on about the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus and knowing Jesus is greater than everything else. Everything else is done compared to it. And then he says this, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and in the fellowship of his sufferings. I think every one of us wants to know him in the power of his resurrection. See a miracle. See him deliver us. We'll give you all the glory, Lord. Deliver us. 
But Paul experienced something in intimacy with God through suffering. Jesus was betrayed, not just by Judas. Jesus said, when I go to the cross, when the shepherd is smitten, all of you will leave me. I will be left all alone. Of course, you know the head apostle says, not me, I'll I'll die. Jesus says, you're going to be the worst. You're going to deny me three times. (laughs) See, when you experience betrayal, you have a chance to experience intimacy with Jesus. Listen to what it says about Joseph. He was horribly betrayed by his brothers and sold to Potiphar. And then it says this, but the Lord was with Joseph. As he saw the shallowness of man and mankind's love and mankind's faithfulness, he experienced the goodness of God and the acceptance of God right after he experiences the betrayal of Potiphar's wife. And I mean, how horrible can this be that she makes the whole thing up out of jealousy, out of spite, out of hatred, uh, out of a woman scorned. And he goes to prison. It's for, as far as she knows, it's the rest of his life. And then the very next verse says, but the Lord was with Joseph. What's happening? Joseph is getting to know God in a way that he never could have known him if everybody was his buddy all the time and everybody's slapping him on the back and everybody's like, Joseph, you're amazing, you're amazing, you're amazing. He found God in a way that he couldn't have without this. Mm. And then fourthly, you find out that God is able to work all things together for your good when you trust him. So Joseph is getting shot at with these darkness arrows. People are doing stuff, but, but the demonic is trying to embitter him, trying to get him to be bitter, trying to take up this rage against God. But the, the sweetness of God that he experiences, he's just fighting off the arrows. No, God is good. God loves me. God, God is a faithful God. Even though I've experienced all this, I am not giving up on my faith. The Bible tells us that in one day, Pharaoh has these dreams of a, of a coming famine. There's going to be seven plentiful years, seven fa- years of famine that's going to be worldwide. He has these dreams without the interpretation, and the cupbearer says, oh my, my sins are now, I, for, I forgot about this guy. He's there. He can interpret this thing. And so in one day, Joseph is taken out of this prison. He's cleaned up. He's brought before Pharaoh. He tells him the interpretation of the dream, and he gives him what Pharaoh's supposed to do. He gives him the word of wisdom. You need to find somebody that will store up this grain in the seven years of plenty so that when the seven years of famine come that are, that's going to be horrible that the, the, the world will stay alive. And so Pharaoh makes Joseph because he's got the wisdom to understand this. He makes him the guy that is in charge. The Bible says that all the countries came to Egypt because the famine was severe in all the world. Genesis forty-one fifty-seven. 
During this time, Israel and his sons have to come to Egypt. And Joseph's dream about them bowing down is fulfilled. 20 years after he received the dream, the dreams are fulfilled. It's a long time. Genesis 50, 20. His brothers are afraid that he's going to kill them after Jacob dies. And he says, you guys intended this for evil, but God meant it for good. God had a bigger plan for the saving of these many lives. That's kind of the Romans 8.28 of the Old Testament. Here's Romans 8.28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. When we trust God with bad things, he is able to work them for our good and for his purpose. Randy Frazee, who writes the companion uh, journal for the story tells, tells uh, about a woman in his congregation named Jennifer. And Jennifer was from a family that had never in all of the family uh, ancestors as far back and no one had ever gone to college. And she was determined she was going to go to college. She was going to be the first one. And so she had a single mom. She had a 14-year-old brother. But she worked her tail off in high school and got grades good enough to be accepted in college. But they, there wasn't money. So she had to postpone going to college by working. And so she, she worked a couple jobs and, uh, and had this uh, place in her room, a little piggy bank where she would save all the money for college. And week after week after week, she lived very frugally and saved that money. Well, in the meantime, her 14-year-old brother was crazy. He had gotten involved with the wrong crowd. He was into drugs. And everybody was against her brother, except her. She was the defender. She was his friend. She was the one who believed in him when no one else did. And one day, she came back to put her another deposit in her piggy bank. And all of the money, thousands of dollars, was gone. There was $20 left in there. She was angry. She was confused. She was sad. She goes to church that Sunday. And the pastor, who's Randy Frazee, preaches... A whole message on forgiveness. And she writes him a letter the next day and says, Pastor, this, this, I'm, my name is Jennifer. This is what happened to me. I know my brother took the money, but your message so touched my heart. I just told God, I am all, and she said, I took that last $20, I put it in the offering. And she said, I just want you to know, to encourage you, you inspired me. I am all in for God. I am forgiving my brother, and I'm trusting God. And Randy reads this, and he, he just, it's a huge church. He wants to find out who is Jennifer. She doesn't have a last name listed, and so she, he's asking around, anybody know a Jennifer, a single mom, single home? She, he wants to meet her face to face, and no one knows. So the next Sunday, he reads her letter to him to the church. And he says, if you are the Jennifer in this letter, I'd really like to meet you. Would you mind coming forward? So the service is over, and two men come up. And uh, two businessmen in the congregation. And, and they say this, Pastor, 
if you find out who this Jennifer is, we are going to pay, we have agreed together before God, we're going to pay for all four years of her college. They get done saying it. And Jennifer comes up. And God takes this young, precious lady who gave everything. And she went on to school. She became a nurse today. She is a vibrant testimony of Jesus Christ everywhere she goes. God, working all things together for our good and for his glory. Foreshadows, point four, foreshadows of the upper story. So Luke 24, 27, Jesus says, here's how you need to read the Old Testament. It says he started with Moses and then the prophets and then the Psalms and he told about all the verses concerning himself that the whole Bible is about this upper story of redemption and Jesus was foreshadowed in the Old Testament and then revealed clearly in the New Testament. And so we see it in Joseph. God had spoken to Abraham in you. I'm going to make a great nation of you. And in you, every family on earth is going to be blessed. And that's, a, that's a, a foreshadowing of Christ who would come and bring salvation to every home. But I want you to see how Abraham's great-grandchild was a foretaste, a foreshadow of Christ. It's amazing. First... He shares with his brothers that he is the one they are going to bow down to. And because of it, they hate him and make a plan to kill him. Jesus shares with the Jews who he is. He says in John chapter 8, which uh, you hate me, you, you want to kill me, why? And it, what work is it that I'm doing that you want to, that you hate me so much? And they said, no, no, it's not because of your works. It's because you being a man claim to be God. You claim to be the one that Isaiah and Philippians says, every knee will bow to. Joseph is sold to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver. Jesus is sold to the Jewish leaders for 30 pieces of silver. Joseph is innocent in Potiphar's house, but yet condemned and sent to prison. Jesus is innocent of any wrongdoing in Pilate's court, yet he is sent to the cross to die. On the, in the third year, after two full years have passed, on the third year after the betrayal of the cupbearer, Joseph is raised up to the right hand of Pharaoh. And he is given the government of all of Egypt. On the third day, after dying on the cross, Jesus is raised up to the right hand of the Father. And the Bible says, and the government rests upon his shoulders. It says in Genesis that the entire, the famine was worldwide and all the nations of the world came 
to get grain from Joseph. God had arranged that every family on the face of the earth was going to be blessed through Abraham's great-grandson as a foreshadow of the one that was coming, Jesus is the one who in this worldwide spiritual famine alone is the bread of life. Here's what he says. I am the bread of life. The bread that comes down from heaven which a man may eat and not die. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And then finally, the suffering of Joseph can only be understood in the light of God's desire to save the nations. Joseph, after the fact, they're looking back. The, 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 the brothers are all really nervous because of what they have done, and now Jacob is dead, and, and Joseph says, listen, guys, you need to see the upper story. What you did and you meant for evil, God meant for good. It was for the saving of the nations at this time. This is why all of that happened. And the only way to understand the cross is to understand that through Christ's suffering on the cross, God is able to now save the nations. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. A holy God loves sinners. There was no other way from God's perspective that he could save you. He couldn't save you because you're a good person. You know why? You're not a good, you're a guilty person. We've all sinned against God. We've all sinned in a number of ways. And a holy God could only save you by first dying for you, by first taking our sin, dying in our place, taking our death. And now in Christ, God can freely give eternal life to all who believe. So I promised the secret What is the secret? That if you truly forgive people and you truly trust God with what happens in your life, you are immune from bad things. God will work everything out for your good and for his glory. Pastor Tom, that is so cliche. I'm so tired of it. Are you trying to say, oh yeah, God works everything out together for good? No, I am not saying that everything works together for good. I am absolutely not saying that. Because Paul didn't say it. Paul said it doesn't work this way for everybody. Sometimes bad things happen to people, and those very bad things destroy those people. It only works for this one group of people, Paul says. He says, everything works together for good for those who first, it says, love God. You have to decide whether you love God more than your right to be angry. You have to decide that. 
I, I get it. I get anger. I get, I am mad and I deserve to be mad. I've got a right to be mad. And you need to decide whether Jesus means more to you than you holding on to your grudge or to your anger. And then it says, to those who love God, and and even though bad things have happened, I'm still going to forgive. I'm going to forgive because I love God more than I love holding on to my anger. But then it says, and who are called according to his purpose. See, what happens in this life, I don't know if you've noticed this, a lot of times our purpose gets destroyed. Joseph had a plan for his life just like all kids do. And that plan was ruined right from the beginning. And you have to be willing to say, God, my life is more than my dream and my purpose. God, I want my life to be about your purpose. And if I can come to that, if I can trust God with my life and say, God, I forgive those who have hurt me and I trust you even though all these bad things have happened, that you're going to bring a greater purpose out. Then the Bible says this. This is, this is um, Psalm 112, verse 7. Here it is. Uh-oh. No, no. That's, that's Romans 8. That's, that's not it. Get, let's get rid of that one. Because that, that's not Psalm. That's Romans, yeah. Here's Psalm 112. He will have no fear of bad news. For his heart is steadfast, trusting in you. Whatever happens, whatever bad thing happens, whatever bad news comes around, it doesn't create fear because his heart is steadfast. I am immune to bad things because bad things that happen, when I trust God, can only serve me ultimately. You say, well, Pastor Tom, what about the people that die, that are, get imprisoned for their faith and that die for their faith? Paul's one of them. You, you cannot do it without talking about eternity and not just time. Because God is an eternal God. And we're down here for, at the most, 80 or 90 years. The Bible says any suffering we do for Jesus' sake is going to be greatly rewarded, and that's going to last for all eternity. So here's how we're going to end. If we could bow our heads and close our eyes, I've got two things I want to pray for. First one is maybe you are here, and you do not know that you are saved. You don't know if you died, you'd go to heaven. You don't know that your sins are forgiven. Let me assure you, that's why Jesus came. That's why he died on the cross. Jesus It says, stands at the door and knocks. If anyone hears his voice and opens the door, he will come in. It is God's plan for you to have eternal life and be with him forever. But he only knocks. You have to open the door. So if that is you, you know Jesus is knocking. You know he's here now and he's knocking and you want to open that door by faith right now. Would you just raise your hand up high enough and long enough for you? I see that hand. I see that hand over there. I see this hand up here. I see the two hands in the back there. God bless you. Anybody else by upraised hand? If everybody that raised their hand would just put their hand on their heart right now and pray this. Lord, thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Lord, I am opening the door of my heart and my life by faith right now. Cleanse me of my sins. I receive your gift of eternal life. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Second group, could we all stand? Here's the second group I want to pray for. You're angry. You're angry. Maybe you're angry at Donald Trump. Maybe you're angry at the media. Maybe you're angry at the police. Maybe you're angry at minorities. Maybe you're angry at your parents. You're angry at your spouse. You're angry at your children. You're angry. The only reason God's putting his finger on it today is because he wants to pull it out of your foundation. Because he wants the ceiling off. So if, if, if you become aware, man, you know what? Maybe you're angry at the pastor. That's what Chris was. Chris was angry at pastors. He was angry at the church. Maybe you're angry at this generic thing called the church. The church has hurt me. The church has been mean to me. The church doesn't accept me. Okay. We're, we're, that's fair. That is absolutely fair. Life has happened, hasn't it, on this planet? But Jesus is here today to take out the bitterness. He wants that anger out of our foundations, guys. So if that's you, just open your arms like this. I call this the receive position, and we're just going to have that prayer right now. Lord, we know the world is angry. We know there's anger on the, on the internet, on Facebook. We, we see anger everywhere. But the truth is, Lord, there's also anger in the church. It's right in our hearts. Jesus, we don't want to be angry anymore. We want to count your love and your sweetness so precious to us that we will do anything for you, including forgive those who have hurt us. So we forgive our spouse. We forgive our parents. We forgive our pastor. We forgive the church in general. We, we forgive Donald Trump. We forgive the Republican Party. We forgive the Democratic Party. We forgive the 1% that are getting richer and richer every year. We forgive Jesus for your sake. We lay our anger down at your cross. And we say this. Lord, thank you that I'm not their judge. You are their judge. You're the one that died for them. I didn't. So I give them to you. Now, Lord, would you pull out anger that has turned into bitterness for many years? It says the grace of God is what roots out bitterness. Would you root it out now, God? Would you root it out? Sometimes we don't, even, we, we, we don't even know what we're angry about anymore because we become an angry person. And so we're kind of angry about everything. Jesus, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us today. Pull this out of us and give us a new beginning. Father, I'm praying for our church. Would you raise up a company of Josephs? Would you raise up a whole company of people that you send out into this world filled with your love, unoffendable people, immune to rejection and insult and all of the stuff that's flying out there, that we might welcome Chris and everybody like Chris into this church because we do need them. Make this a safe haven 
may many be saved because we worked through our anger with you and trusted you. Lord, we love you and we ask you and believe you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. We'll have prayer teams at the front.